You know, beloved listeners, in these days of uh, billionaires blasting rockets into space and talk of human missions to Mars, it's hard to imagine the excitement generated by polar exploration in the 1900s. But excitement there very much was. When the American explorer, Frederick Cook, sent a telegram to the New York Herald in 1909, claiming to be the first person to have reached the North Pole, he became an international celebrity instantly. Shops started selling Cook-themed toys, a, a Chicago milliner named a hat after him, and Cook cocktails were being shaken and drunk in bars up and down Broadway. But one unknown Fleet Street reporter who managed to score an exclusive interview with Cook began to doubt the great adventurer's story. In a new book called The Explorer and the Journalist, British author Richard Evans sets out on his own literary expedition to uh, uncover the truth about polar fraud. And I'm delighted that Richard can join us from his home in the UK. Richard, welcome. I knew nothing. I guess the story came as a surprise to you. How did you discover each other? It really came uh, from Philip Gibbs's own autobiography. So it, it, I've always had an interest in, in journalism history and Fleet Street history. And uh, I was reading Philip Gibbs's autobiography because he's a very sort of storied journalist who, who covered lots of stuff uh, in his long life. Um, and this was only a few pages uh, in terms of him just sort of setting out how he made his big break by uh, being sent to Copenhagen in 1909, as you say, to cover the biggest story in the world, which was the the, the supposed discovery uh, of the North Pole. And uh, I, I read this story and didn't do anything with it really for about 10 years. I just, just at the back of my mind, it was always very, a very interesting one. And then when COVID came along, you know, some people were, were kind of, baking sourdough some people were sort of doing doing keep fit or learning a language (laughs) and uh and i just sort of uh, got onto the newspaper archives and just started delving into them and sort of um and and the story started to sort of form itself in terms of um of of what happened and 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 in those days of covid really sort of sort of felt i was transformed back to the to the days of copenhagen in 1909 now let's start by meeting your first protagonist uh, frederick cook in many ways, a quite heroic figure. I learned from your book mm. that uh, Cook lived in grinding poverty in his early years. That's a bit of a contrast to the explorers of his time. Yeah, it tended to be uh, that the explorers came from relatively well-to-do backgrounds, but Cook was very different. You know, he he had a had an okay childhood for the first few years because his father was a doctor, but then his father died when he was very young, and after that, it was really every every day was a struggle to make ends meet, um, to put food on the table, and uh, and he did incredibly well to come out of that childhood and and himself become a doctor um, and, and and graduate from medical school. Um, so so. Did, did remarkably well and, and worked incredibly hard. And it was that, that hard uh, work ethos, if you like, that, that really led him to success in, in polar exploration. And whatever happened later, he, he was a remarkable uh, explorer and a remarkably talented one. And Amundsen, who you know, is probably the, the greatest of not just the polar explorers, but perhaps the greatest explorer of all time, really looked up to Cook as a, as a kind of of a hero and, and even after uh, all was said and done Amundsen would always say that that Cook could do things on the ice that Amundsen himself could never do um, and uh, so, he, so there was clearly a lot of talent there. 
I feel that we should mention that uh, Cook married in the spring of uh, mm. 1889. His wife fell pregnant. They mm. lose the baby after a short time and then his wife dies a, a week later. Tragedy was well known to him. Yeah, and, and not only that, but then he ended up becoming engaged to his uh, his uh, his wife's sister, um, and she then died of died of illness too. So his life was marked by tragedy. One of his siblings died as well. Uh, so he'd had a really tough life, as well as the sort of the, the as you say the grinding poverty, just just hit by one thing after another. Um, and and one of the sort of remarkable things about his character was how um, how he just bounced back from every every adversity. And I think that's what made him almost uniquely um, well equipped to to be in the polar condition. And, and and what we what you found is that when he was um, on the ice in, in the Arctic, for example, others were really their mood was dropping and they were struggling with it. But he just seemed to be able to maintain a, maintain a cheeriness no matter what happened, no matter how dangerous or hard it became. Um, and I think that's what 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 gained him the uh, the, the admiration of his, his fellow explorers. We should point out that he put up his hands uh, for for an expedition with the American explorer Robert Peary. And that was mm. of great significance in his life. That that was that really opened the door to Arctic exploration, and it was just that he read a newspaper article and it said that Peary was looking for a for a doctor to join his uh, his latest Arctic expedition, and he thought, why not? You know, he 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 was widowed at that point. Um, he, he was a bit bored with with his medical practice and finding it harder to make a, make a go of it than than he'd anticipated. So he thought, well, why why don't, why don't I try this? And a bit of escapism, and he'd he'd read the memoirs of some of the Arctic explorers and was uh, had this kind of romantic vision of it and uh and, and that changed his life and, and gave him sort of an addiction for uh the, the polar climbs that, that he that never really really left him so first up though we we've got to head deep south tell me about mm. his uh, expedition on a belgian vessel in 1897 well, the, the, the Belgica expedition was in very much the high point of his career, really, because uh, he was the most experienced uh, polar explorer on it, and that they were the first uh, polar expedition to to winter in in Antarctica and had an incredibly tough time of it. Um, I think, but I think they didn't the want to winter; they got stuck in the ice. Well, uh, the crew got stuck in the ice, but the captain, I, I think most people now believe, actually deliberately got stuck in the ice, both because he wanted to become the first person who, who, had win who could winter in uh, Antarctica and also for the practical thing of uh, not having to put up the, uh, uh, the, the, the crew over the winter in, in, a, in accommodation. <laughs> so, uh, so, so, so they all, the, the crew all thought it was an accident, but, but I, I think most people think it was, was done on purpose. But, uh, but it, it led to horrendous hardship uh, because they just weren't prepared for it at all. But they survive. They, they survived, and and largely, I would say, because of Cook, and and this is what really earned him the admiration of of Amundsen, who was on that um, that 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 expedition as a as a young explorer at the time, uh, and it was it was Cook, firstly, who who just kept them all cheerful and 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 buoyed their spirits at a time when uh, they were all feeling feeling very down and uh, in, in the constant darkness and the constant fear of fear of death. But then then Cook also recognised that, that the men's um, ill health that seemed to be coming onto them was actually the early signs of scurvy. And he was ahead of his time in terms of, of identifying that because he'd been in the Arctic and he realised that, that uh, the Inuit 
never seemed to uh, suffer from scurvy. He wondered whether that they, they should mirror the, the Inuit diet. So he, he put them on a strict diet of uh, fresh meat and probably saved a few of their lives through that. It's interesting, isn't it, that our Captain Cook was also uh, an early uh, scholar of scurvy and saved his own crew through, um, through mm. it. So his namesake... Exactly. His namesake yes. is a, is an echo. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's now head to the North Pole. How did he get funding for his, uh, well, his hypothetical expedition? Well, he struggled throughout his life to get funding uh, for, for his own expeditions, but then he set off to uh, climb Mount Mount McKinley in, in Alaska. Uh, now it's called Denali, and and he he said, and and with the strong emphasis on said, he was the first person ever to. Uh, get to the top of that, and that gave him another level of celebrity. And then, one, you know, success breeds success, and and then he was able to um, attract funding from a from a millionaire who uh, who, who said he would he would uh, go with him to the to the Arctic on an expedition. And then Cook said, "Well, why don't we turn it from an Arctic expedition into a North Pole expedition? Because I've always wanted to do that." And so the stage was set for what was potentially one of the most exciting polar journeys of all time. So he sets off with a couple of Inuit guides and uh, a sled and dogs. Yes, so he, he heads off. Uh, he starts off with, with more of the Inuit guides, and then for the for, for the dash, it was for the just with with the three of them, him and, and two, two Inuit, and quite a lot of dogs. But the, the slightly grisly uh, reality of uh, polar exploration was that you start off with a lot of dogs and use the dogs to, to feed the other dogs, um, so you don't have to pack the, the, the food for the dogs. So it's all, sort of quite grim, really. Um, so, so he ended up with, with rather fewer dogs than he uh, than, than he left with. To his credit, he had great respect, even reverence for the Inuit. Yeah, Cook was someone who really, uh, really respected Inuit culture, and that's one of the reasons he was he was such a good explorer. Uh, and I think you know, particularly in, in those sort of Victorian times and and, uh, and Edwardian times, you, you really had a had a sense of, of of racism towards the Inuit among many explorers in terms of of, of seeing them as sort of as inferior. Whereas I, th- I think Cook never never fell into that that trap, and, um, and and really thought when he met the Inuit, he thought, well, how can I learn from them? And they, they taught him uh, dogs sledging they he learned from their diet and uh, he learned from their culture and and his approach which was which which was pretty successful was to to live like the inuit and and that's similar to sort of what amundsen did when when he went to the south pole a couple of years later talking to richard evans so cook sets off with two inuit guys uh, a sled and uh, the aforementioned doom pack of dogs but disappears mm. and the date by which he said he'd be back came and went and of course, his friends became anxious, convinced he was dead. Yeah, every, everyone assumed that uh, that he'd he'd got lost and was probably dead. Um, and there was even talk of sending out a, a relief expedition to try and find him or his or his body. Um, so, so kind of he'd been forgotten about really by this point. And then suddenly, on the first of September, nineteen oh nine, a boat makes an unscheduled stop in the Shetland Islands off, off the north of Scotland. And, uh, and and a ragged-looking man gets out and goes to the telegraph office, and as, as you say, sent that um, that that telegram that really sparked one of the biggest news stories in in the first part of the the twentieth century, and really sort of set the hairs hairs racing, if you like, um, for for journalists around the world to get to Copenhagen, which is where uh, Cook's boat was scheduled to land a few days later. Now, enter stage right, the other main protagonist of your amazing <laughs> yeah. story the aforementioned British journalist, Philip Gibbs. Now, forgive the pun, uh, 
but Gibbs seems to have been the polar opposite of Cook in terms of personality. Yes, uh, Gibbs was was an unusual news journalist. So, so when you think of a news journalist, you think of someone who's sort of sharp elbowed, that, that, that doesn't mind who they upset, that, that kind of thing. Whereas Gibbs was a very sort of sensitive, shy man um, who didn't really seem like a like a hard bitten news hack at, at all. Um, but but there he was as a news journalist, and there was something about the sort of the the, the smell of the chase, if you like, that meant that once he got to Copenhagen and, and got a sniff of the story, he was transformed from this sort of sensitive shy literary figure to to someone who, who who chased the story story down with the best of them and and it really uh, the story really sort of brought him to, to prominence if you like from being a relatively unknown journalist to someone who was one of the best known journalists in the world or certainly certainly in Britain what what made him suspicious well he had an amazing uh, piece of luck in that he bumped into uh, the wife of one of cook's friends in a, in a cafe and the wife was uh, knew about a boat that was leaving to reach Cook's boat before he reached uh, reached Copenhagen. So while all the other journalists were waiting on the land for uh, for Cook to arrive, there was Philip Gibbs, this this uh, relatively newcomer to news journalism, uh, sitting down with an exclusive interview with the person whose story had, had sort of shocked the world. Um, and what made him suspicious was. He, he couldn't even put his finger on it, really, but just that sense of uh, didn't quite make eye contact, um, didn't didn't quite sort of have that sort of ring of truth about it, I think was the main thing. And then there were other things, some reasonable, like, for example, uh, Cook uh, hadn't brought his, uh, his, his observations uh, with him, which seemed very strange and was very strange. But then there were other things like, for example, the fact that Cook didn't have a beard, which, uh, which, which Gibbs thought was strange. But probably was was down to his lack of knowledge of uh, Arctic expedition rather than r- rather than a real sort of concern. So it was a mixture of things. But by the t- time he came out of the interview, he really thought this guy hasn't been to the North Pole. I don't believe him, and I'm going to stake my whole career and my reputation and my newspaper's reputation on calling him out for it. Let me let me quote from what he wrote: by some uh, quick instinct of facial expression, by some uh, sensibility to mental and moral dishonesty. I was convinced absolutely at the end of an hour that this man had not been to the North Pole but was attempting to bluff the world. Well, he deserves uh, quite a lot of journalistic uh, kudos for that prescience, doesn't he? Absolutely, and uh, and while all the other journalists were celebrating Cook as as the ex- the explorer who had reached the North Pole, and there wasn't much doubt about it in, in in all of their reports, his was the one report that really really came through with a real. Uh, sense of scepticism that really put him in the firing line, um, both internationally, but also particularly in Copenhagen, where they really took uh, Cook to their heart. And uh, and suddenly, uh, Gibbs was sort of like the ghost at the feast, sort of threatening to ruin it all and making himself very unpopular into the bargain. That's a very interesting point. So his revelations or his suspicions were not applauded, but deplored. Absolutely. And, and particularly in Copenhagen, as I say, where... Th- th- there was a real sense of flattery that Cook had chosen Copenhagen as the city uh, that he arrived back uh, back after the polar expedition when he could have chosen anywhere, you know, gone straight back to New York. But the fact he chose Copenhagen really felt like it, 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 it sort of gave pride to the city. So who wants this British journalist coming over and trying to trying to ruin the party, really? Gibbs was booed in a restaurant by fellow diners. And one of Cook's uh, supporters even challenged him to a duel, which uh, was quite scary because the <laughs> The, the guy was a lot bigger than him. <laughs>
And, of course, he was ardently supported by uh, Amundsen. Absolutely. Uh, Amundsen uh, still had... had reverence for cook from from their time on the belgica together and i think he said something like something like uh cook is one of the most honest and trustworthy people i've ever met if he says he's been to the north pole i believe he's been to the north pole and and for many people and many journalists that that sort of recommendation was good enough and 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 also came that there were other recommendations for um for, for cook who was who was well respected um and so a lot of people couldn't see why why would you why would you doubt the man Okay, when did the tide begin to turn? Well, some of the things that, that, that Gibbs was saying really started to sort of play on people's minds, and he started to sort of um, to, to to sow seeds of doubt that started to to grow, um, and then as time went on, and and Cook was given slight giving slightly contradictory accounts of what had happened to his observations you know had he left them in greenland had he taken some with him to copenhagen it wasn't entirely clear um and then because of his massive massive celebrity now there also started to be a uh, back in the united states uh, another look into his claim to have climbed mount mckinley and uh and, and as they started digging into the story it didn't seem to, to quite add up and uh and some of the people on his uh expedition with him at the time a few years earlier had doubt about whether he really had got to the top. So, doubts about his mountaineering skills and whether he actually planted the American flag at the peak. What happens next? So, Copenhagen had, had really sort of t- taken uh, Cook to its heart by now. He'd been he'd had a dinner with the with the king and queen um, that the city had put on a banquet in his honour. Um, the, the streets were sort of filled with uh, with, with American flags uh, to, to mark his mark his return. And it really felt that Copenhagen had sort of thrown its chips in with, with, with Cook and it was too too far gone to really start to be sceptical at that point. Um, and they gave him a, 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 an honorary degree at the university. Uh, he was given the gold medal of the Geographical Society there. Um, so, so they really uh, backed him as, as, much, as much as they possibly could. Um, but at the same time, as all this was going on, uh, incredibly, you had Robert Peary coming forward. I think it was uh, less than a week after uh, Cook had come forward, um, saying that he'd also reached the North Pole. So suddenly, after sort of hundreds of years where people have been trying and failing to reach the North Pole. You had two people within the space of a week who had claimed uh, to, to reach it. So as well as the sort of the rivalry with, with, with Gibbs and Cook, you also had this rivalry between Cook and Peary, uh, with, with, with Peary starting to aggressively sort of call Cook a liar and sort of uh, and, and claim that he, was, he, he hadn't really reached the, reached the North Pole. So Peary, of course, of impeccable reputation. He did have an impeccable reputation. His reputation now isn't quite as impeccable as it was then, but at the time, he was seen as a, seen as a very reliable source and one of the most respected uh, polar explorers. So, um, so, so the, the fact of him questioning the, the credibility of Cook's claim really started to to, to, to unravel the, the story, and and then Cook decided to go straight back to uh, America to, um, to to work on his his account of the of of, of his polar voyage um, to try to sort of put his observations together before presenting it to a scientific uh, society but actually he, when he went back there was delirious scenes in in america as well and he made a huge amount of money from uh giving lots of talks uh, to you know really right, big, big ticket sort of lecture fees um so so became a very rich man very quickly 
And if Netflix had been around, he would have been even richer. I'm talking to uh, Richard Evans about his book, The Explorer and the Journalist, Frederick Cook, Philip Gibbs and the Scandal that Shocked the World. So, Gibbs' exposure of the hoax, did it put an end to, uh, to Cook's exploration days? Well, by the time he left left for America, there was there were real doubts now, and he'd gone from being accepted uncritically to now there were there were there were real serious doubts among everyone. Um, but then it took a few months more before the final exposure because he he put together his his observations and presented them to the University of, of Copenhagen, uh, which put together a panel of experts. And that panel of experts really looked, took one look at it, what he said was the evidence and said this doesn't stack up and. Uh, and, and were really sort of damning of, of the evidence he presented to them. And that was sort of the final ex- exposure um, of him. And then he, he disappeared for a year, came back um, and tried to prove again he had reached the North Pole, uh, but without much success. And then tr- like he had a, had a failed attempt to, to climb <laughs> Mount Everest. Then he then eventually he became an oil man and, uh, um, and, and seemed to be extremely successful um, as as a, the owner of an oil company, um, there, there seemed to be millions coming into the coffers, which in those days was a huge amount of money. But then it all came down when he was charged with fraud for the way that he ran the company and ended up um, spending a number of years in, in jail for having defrauded his, uh, his shareholders. Um, so it's sort of a, a kind of a sad end to his, his career, really. Gosh, what a character. The New York Times uh, denounced him as uh, one of the boldest fakers the world has ever known. That's the sort of appellation that these days is applied to Donald Trump. How (laughs) How extraordinary. So what happens to Philip Gibbs? The sort of the, the time in Copenhagen was really the ruin of Cook's career, but it was sort of the making of, of Philip Gibbs's. So he went from an obscure journalist to a to a well known one, and then with the final sort of uh, exposure of of Cook proving he had been right, he suddenly it was suddenly transformed into one of the most uh, respected and prominent journalists uh, in the country, and that really gave him the platform to report on a whole number of of some of the biggest stories of the day. He he was one of the first people who discovered about the death of. Edward VII, he um, he got an exclusive interview with the girlfriend of, of Dr. Crippen, who was a, a, a notorious um, murderer, and and lots of other other stories. So 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 he he was one of the most successful journalists of his day, and that then became um, a reporter in the First World War, and that really turned him into a household name. I've got to ask you a very important question. If Fred, if our Fred wasn't the first person to reach the North Pole, as he claims, who mm. does that honour really go to? Well, that's a really, uh, really difficult question. So if you'd asked me that sort of, sort of 20, 30 years ago, I would have said, well, it's definitely Robert Peary. But then, uh, and, and he... He was the one who really got to the North Pole. But since then, people have looked again at his his claim, and now most people think Peary didn't get there either. <laughs> um, and that and that means that means that what you know that you had this bizarre <laughs> bizarre situation where these two people arguing about who uh, was the first to, to the North Pole, and and neither of them probably were. So while the, the the South Pole race had this really neat end when Amundsen beat uh, beat Scott, and it was very clear, it's it's very murky about who actually reached the North Pole, and actually 
actually depends what you think reaching the North Pole sort of even means, because we, we do know that Roald Amundsen got there when he flew over uh, in an airship uh, in the 1920s. And if you count sort of flying over at the North Pole in an no, airship, no, that's, that's no, no, not going to count that. Look, that was <laughs> a most exhilarating ride together, Richard. Thank you for that. Oh, uh, no, absolutely fascinating. Richard Evans, the author of The Explorer and the Journalist, Frederick Cook, Philip Gibbs and the scandal that shocked the world. If you want to get your hands on a copy, it's published by The History Press. Richard, thanks a lot. And you are going to make a lot of money out of Netflix. (laughs) Thanks. I, I live in hope of that. Thank you very much. Lovely talking to you. Getting in touch with ABC RN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.